to take a copy of God's Word this morning and turn open to the book of Hebrews as we continue our way through that book and this morning Hebrews chapter 11. And we will look at Hebrews chapter 4, I mean Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 as we continue our way through that book this morning. Hebrews 11 Verse 4, if you're using a pew Bible, you can turn right to page 1007 in the pew Bible. 1007 in the pew Bible. Let's pray before we read and hear God's Word read and preached this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we before you in humility this morning. My children looking up to their parents, so we look up to you, our eternal Father. We ask that you would speak to us. You'd speak to us in a way that we would understand. Thankful that in your mercy, condescended to give us your word, thankful that you lisp to us so that his children before your throne can understand you and your purposes for us as much as we are able. We pray especially this morning that you would not leave us to ourselves but you would as a kind and merciful father that you would speak to your children. We would clearly hear your voice. And that you would be exalted in our midst. We pray this in the strong name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. This is the holy, inerrant, sufficient word of God. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Grass withers and the flower fades. The word of God is forever. Be to God. Amen. Last week, we entered into this great chapter of Hebrews 11, this is what is often called the Hall of Fame of Faith, and as we walk through this, we are going to see the author of Hebrews walk through various individuals from the Old Testament, and he's doing so to press home the importance of faith for both the Christian religion and also for the Christian life. And the first that he picks up as he's going through this list of Old Testament saints as he's picking up the story of Cain and Abel. And what we want to see and what he is pressing home in this very first story as he goes through them here in verse 4 is that he is pressing home to us the doctrine of what we have come to call the doctrine of the justification by faith alone. And he's pressing home justification by faith alone because it's the very heart, it's the very core of the gospel message as we celebrate just a couple of weeks ago uh, 
Reformation Day, October 31st, and as we celebrate that, you'll remember the Reformers, the Reformation was overall a great recovery of the truth of the Scriptures of justification by faith alone. And the Reformers rightfully said that it is on this article, justification by faith alone, that the church either stands or the church falls. Why? Because it's at the very heart of the gospel. The very heart of the gospel that we proclaim, the very heart of the gospel that saves sinners. So we'll see that this morning from this verse. Four points this morning as we look at this. First, Abel's faith versus Cain's folly. Second, it's going to be Abel's commendation. Third, Abel's reward. Finally, Abel's speech. So first, Abel's faith versus Cain's folly. Second, Abel's commendation. Third, Abel's reward. And then finally, Abel's speech. First, Abel's faith versus Cain's folly. The author of Hebrews, he begins his account going back and recalling the story from Genesis 4. And in Genesis 4, we have this account of both Cain and Abel. And he recalls that Abel's sacrifice to God was a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's. But the reality is, is much more than that. If you go back to Genesis 4, you will see that God's response to Cain's sacrifice is that, quote, he had no regard. No regard for Cain's sacrifice. Why? They both offered, as we are told in Genesis 4, they both offered first fruits. That is, that which they had come to produce, that of all that they had produced, the very first of it they offered to God in sacrifice. And we're told very clearly in Genesis 4 that Abel was a shepherd, Cain was a farmer. Abel tended to sheep, Cain tended to plants. And they both offered from their first fruits. Now, when we're given details like that in the Scriptures, it's often and almost always for reason. It's not just what we would kind of call color, to provide color to the passage. It's important that Abel is offering sheep and Cain is offering plants to the Lord. Would you think back to Genesis 3, and in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel's parents, the first people in the garden, First man, the first woman, Adam and Eve, are told by God that they're not to eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they choose to eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because they do so, they fall in sin. And because they fell in sin, so every one of us fell in and with them in that sin. And all of us are born as sinners into this world. And God appears to them and in the midst of cursing them, He's cursing them for this disobedience and for sinning against Him. In the midst of that, He does what is in many ways surprising. We didn't know it. We're told that God, quote, made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. That is, God met their sin and He met their shame with sacrifice. He, he takes an innocent animal and it, it is sacrificed to cover their sin 
and to cover their shame. God provided for them. Now, you can say most likely verbally, but surely just by example, what God has taught Adam and Eve and has taught all those that come after them that what was required for sinners is this. This is what is needed. Blood must be shed to atone for sin. Why? Because as we're told in the Scriptures, there is life in the blood. And what was God's promise of they ate from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? If you eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. So there must be death. You now go back and you think about Cain and Abel. Why is it that Abel's sacrifice was received by God and commended, but Cain's was not? Well, Cain, at the point of offering these first fruits, we can guess was at least 129 years old. If you do the math on when Seth was born, Cain and Abel had to be at least 129 years. Years old, And as Kent Hughes points out, in Genesis 4.3, we're told, in the course of time, Cain brought an offering. Course of time literally means at the end of days, indicating that there was some kind of end to a specific period of time. No doubt a specific period of time that they were to offer regular offerings before God. And therefore, it seems right, as Hughes says, to surmise that both Cain and Abel had known God's word regarding the necessity of animal sacrifice since they were children and had obeyed it for years. They've been living this way, both Cain and Abel. They've been offering sacrifices, both Cain and Abel. And they both would have understood the substitutionary atoning nature of blood sacrifice because when God provided skins to clothe their parents, He established a principle of covering sin through the shutting of blood. This is how sin is covered. This is how your shame is covered. By sacrifice. Sacrifice. Of innocent blood. I knew. As Hughes says, Abel's faith was an expression of his conscious need for atonement. Pains was not. Cain came with pride and hubris, whereas Abel came in faith under the covering of blood. If, if you think back through the Old Testament and all of these sacrifices that are offered time and again and over and over, even as the writer of Hebrews has pointed out to us over and over through this book, all of those sacrifices were meant to bring to the consciousness of the sinner time and again, that the penalty for sin is death. And you have the need to be covered over by blood. You have to be substituted for, or you have to pay the penalty itself. And all of it was meant to keep moving their eyes forward, to keep looking forward in hope, trusting in hope, looking forward to that day when the promise was realized that the one would come who would atone for all of our sins, the Lamb of God, covered over by His blood everlasting. All pointing to that. 
But Cain thought he knew better. He knew a better way. Not Abel. He simply came in faith by blood before God in worship. Just think about how often the writer of Hebrews in this book has been pointing us over and over to blood. That we need to look to the blood of Christ, the substitution of sacrifice for sinners. It, just as an example, Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9, verse 12 through 14, he says this, He, meaning Christ, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of vile persons with the ashes of heaven sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more the blood of Christ is an argument from the lesser to the greater. All of these sacrifices, all the blood of these bulls and goats, all of that was a lesser sacrifice to lead to the greater sacrifice. So that you understood the principle. You must be covered over with blood. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. There must be substitution for sinners. Your works are dead. They don't accomplish it. Abel chose Christ's way. Cain's folly was that he gave, but it was not what was needed. And it wasn't what was required. Cain thought he knew better. He's going to do it his way, Cain's way, rather than Christ's way. I remember reading an illustration similar to this uh, that fleshes this out well in the early 90s by a popular author, author late 90s. And it just kind of rocked my world. He, he told a, a story of a father of four boys. And they lived in a mansion. And the father of these four boys warned them not to go near this river. The three of the boys, eventually the younger boys, went out. And they went near the river. And they were pulled into the river. And they were pulled by the current of the river. And they were taken down to a hostile and a foreign and a horrible land. And they couldn't make it back up the river because the current was too strong. They couldn't walk alongside the river because the banks were too steep. They couldn't go around because the mountains were too tall. They were stuck. They each had different things that they did. But it was the one brother that stuck out to me. I remember when I was reading this. This brother decided that he was going to make his way back to his father up the river. And because the current was so strong, what he decided he would do is he would lay stones in the riverbed and he would just keep laying them until he had something firm to walk upon. The story goes as the father sends firstborn son. And the firstborn son comes down to that hostile land and he comes there to, to carry back because he is, he is older and he is stronger and he has ability and so he comes to carry back the sons back to the mansion. The, stack, the stone stacking brother sees him and says, leave me alone, I'm working. 
I am going to work my way back to the Father and then He will see how hard I have worked and He will respond by granting me mercy. The older brother says, He's already given mercy. He's already forgiven. He sent me. He's given mercy. Younger brother says, No, I'm going to work my way back. Won't be able to do anything but give me mercy once he sees how hard I've worked to get back. It ends with the older brother saying, Look, I was sent here to carry you back. You don't understand how strong this river is. You are never going to make it back. The task is too great. And the younger brother says, Do you doubt my strength? Do you not know? Have you not seen? Look, I have made five steps up the river. The older brother, the firstborn, says, Yes, you've made five steps, so you have five million to go. It's an impossibility. The mercy has already been extended. It's not our way. It's His way. This is the folly of Cain. He thought he would make his own way to God. Abel understood that he could not. And Abel humbly, simply humbles himself before God and he approached God by faith. By faith. Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. By faith. We do not do to gain justification. Rather, we believe. What is justification? Justification is our being declared righteous before the throne of God. We all must stand in the courtroom of God someday. And as we stand there, we will all be held accountable for what we have done in the flesh. What we have said, what we have done, what we have not done, what we have not said. And all of us will stand there. And you can't be declared righteous before God by what you decide to offer Him. It doesn't work that way. Because it's an impossibility. We simply come to Him by faith receiving what He has given. Faith has often been referred to in the Protestant tradition as the instrument of our justification. Instrument of our justification. That is, that God has extended the righteousness of Christ to us. The very righteousness of God is extended to us in Christ according to God's mercy. And you and I just receive it by faith. It's the instrument of our justification. Which leads to our second point, Abel's commendation. We're told he was commended as righteous for offering that sacrifice. And so the question must go in your mind. If you're thinking through, you say, well, isn't that just undo everything that you just said, Pastor? He did something. He offered sacrifice to God. And because he offered sacrifice to God, he is commended by God. Wasn't he commended for his doing, for his works? The answer is no. He was commended in the sense that his life was testifying to what he believed. The worship that he was offering testified to the fact that he had faith in God and the means that God had provided. He believed. 
Our justification, our being declared right, and our standing before God is not based upon merit. What we do, our works. The holy God will never be satisfied with the works of fallen men. That's Cain's folly. Rather, our salvation is wholly based upon not our righteousness, but the righteousness of another. Righteousness of the second Adam, the very Son of God, who lived a perfect life, a completely righteous life, and then died a completely righteous death. And then he imputes, he credits that righteousness. Yours and my account. So that when God looks upon you, sinner, if you are united to Christ by faith, sees the righteousness of Christ. His righteousness. The only way to receive that. By faith. Abel's offering demonstrates his faith. Or we could say it this way. His sanctification speaks of his justification. Don't confuse these things. There is an important distinction between justification and sanctification. Justification are our declaration of our right standing before God, His judgment that we have right standing before Him, justification. Sanctification is our growing in righteousness. Justification, once. Sanctification, we continue to grow in righteousness until that last day when we are before His throne and completely righteous. There is to be a distinction, but there's not to be a separation. Those who are justified are being sanctified. Those who are declared righteous before the throne of God are working out their salvation with fear and trembling. They are growing in righteousness. Our works are evidence of our faith. And that's what's happening here with Abel. In faith, he offers an acceptable sacrifice to God. And that offering or worship testifies to his faith in this God. So he's commended for that faith. Third, Abel's reward. Say, well, that's all well and good, but we look at the story of Cain and Abel and it doesn't seem like faith is that great of a choice. Cain murders Abel. Cain continues to be. Abel ceases to be. Except that's not the case. Abel's reward for faith is great. There's a telling story at the end of the account in Genesis 4 of Cain and Abel. And we're told this at the end of that account. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now that should send all kinds of alarm bells going off in your head because it's familiar language. Because at the end of chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, we have the exact same language. When Adam and Eve fall in the garden and they sin against God, we're told that God, quote, drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam and Eve are driven east of Eden. They're driven away from the presence of God. Cain, we're told, is driven 
away from the presence of God. He is driven east of Eden. And then it closes with this idea that, look, they're not only driven away from the presence of God, they're driven away from the tree of life. And the way to the tree of life, it's been stopped up by angels, cherubim, who have flaming swords guarding the way so there is no access to the tree of life. And that's the desperate state of sinful man. There was now no way to come to the tree of life. No way to have communion with God. It's being guarded by angels with flaming swords. You can't go in there and have that kind of communion with God anymore. You can't have everything that that tree of life symbolized and promised. A truly happy, a truly joyous, a true life without end. Rest and love, peace and comfort. Continual, uninterrupted communion with our Maker. It's gone. It's barred. No entrance. It seems impregnable. Lost forever. And his wrath driven man out of the garden. But it's not lost forever. Not for all. Jonathan Edwards once wrote, Wrath of God drove us out of paradise. The grace of God invites us to return. If we turn to the end of our Bibles, you would see that the tree of life makes a new appearance there. And in Revelation there, in Revelation 2-7, we're told about the tree of life again, and we're told there, quote, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. How does one conquer? By faith. This is Abel's reward. Abel conquered by faith. So he has everlasting communion with God enjoy the tree of life forevermore. Jonathan Edwards once preached a sermon in which he talked about Christ leading us back to the tree of life. Remember the way is barred. It's barred with angels, with flaming swords. So how do we ever enter in again? By faith in Christ. Who leads us to the tree of life. And He leads us by becoming our substance. He Himself as the second Adam, the very Son of God, He must go through those flaming swords, Edwards points out. And He bears the judgment of those swords. He bears the wrath of the Father. The way is open. The tree of life is accessible. So that you can be in paradise with God again. Edward said this in that sermon. He said, in Christ rising from the dead, being a divine person went before us. Now the sword is removed, having done its execution, already having nothing more to do there, having slain Christ. There is no sword now 
And the way is open and clear to eternal life for those that are in Christ. This is the reward for Abel's faith. What a reward. Love how Augustine wonderfully said about Abel and Cain. He said, Cain founded a city on earth, but Abel, the stranger and pilgrim, looked forward to the city of the saints, which is in heaven. He reached it by faith. By faith. Finally, Abel's faith speaks to us. As the writer says, through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Abel's life, it it continues to testify. It testifies to you. It, It testifies to me. This is the way. He continues to live. And he speaks. You remember back in Genesis when he is murdered by his brother that we're told that his blood was spilt on the ground and that that blood cried out. And what it cried out for was God's justice. But what the writer of Hebrews is speaking about here is not Abel's blood crying out for vengeance or for retribution, but rather he's testifying. It's a testimony. He's calling to you. He's calling to me. This is the way. Faith. If you only knew the reward I am enjoying, this is the way. Faith. You see, Abel was, he was the first man ever to die. He was also the first man ever to enter into heaven. Imagine that. He's the first. It's, it's God. The angels, the archangels. Ah, there's somebody new. Abel, this is the way. You can only get here by faith. Abel speaks. Let me ask you. Have you believed? Have you received? Trying to make your own way. Think you know better than God? You. I'm talking to the person next to you. You. Every man, woman, child in this room. Have you believed? Have you received? Can't make your own way. Everlasting life, everlasting peace with God, it is offered freely to all of us. And all we have to do is simply receive by faith the substitutionary sacrifice made for us. Faith receives. And in this sense, it is completely passive. It is simply receiving and resting in Christ Jesus who was made sin for us. He bore our sin. He bore our shame. Trying to work your way back up the river. 
little brother has been sent to carry you home. We could even say, put it even more pointedly, we're not saved by the act of believing. We're saved by the finished work of our older brother. B.B. Warfield, the 19th century Princeton theologian, I think said it better than any other. He said, the saving power of faith resides thus not in itself, but in the Almighty Savior on whom it rests. It is not, strictly speaking, even faith in Christ that saves, but Christ that saves through faith. He did it. It's accomplished. It's done. You, you just receive it. Just receive it. And if you have, if you've received and finished work of Christ on your behalf, then need to understand that you are to have peace and you are to have rest. Our justification, our being declared right before the throne of God, it, it, it deals with all of the past sins that you and I have committed. And it deals with all your future sins. Done. Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not now, not ever. That means that though you continue to fight indwelling sin, and though you continue to give in to the deeds of the flesh, though you continue to fall into the temptation of the world, though all of those things are true, your union with Christ, if you are in Christ, is never in jeopardy. Why? Because it's not based upon your righteousness. Your justification is based upon His righteousness. His. You're secure. There is therefore now no and never shall be any condemnation for those who are in Christ. I was talking with somebody after the first service and they said, I struggle with the judgment day and thinking about standing before the throne of God and thinking, oh, all of my sins are going to be laid out. Why are all those being recalled? And we were talking about and discussing with one another. It will be, though, a fabulous moment where all your sins are recalled because you will have no shame. And all it will do is elicit in you thanksgiving. Oh my goodness, I did that, and I did that, and I did that, and I did that. Christ paid for that, and paid for that, and paid for that, and paid for that. No condemnation. He bore your sin, and He bore your shame. If you're in Him, by faith. People knew 
And his justification was not based upon his righteousness. Cain thought his righteousness was sufficient. Abel looked. Sacrifice to Christ to come. He knew. Let me just close with this one idea. I often think about this and thought about this over the years. It is fascinating to me that justification, it is eschatological. That is, it deals with the last things. It's It's the end time. And yet what happens is, is that judgment that is rendered in the end, that, that, that future reality, what has happened in justification is that that future reality has been brought all the way back to the present. There is an eschatological aspect that is brought here to the present where you and I dwell. And because it is eschatological, because it is tied to the end, it's complete it's done. It's a final judgment. There's not more judgment to come. It's done. You've been declared, if you're in Christ Jesus, you've been declared righteous before the throne of God because of the righteousness imputed to you, credited to you of Christ. It's done. You just get to hear it. J.V. Fesco said this, he said, It is the verdict of the final judgment brought forward in the present. For the one united to Christ by faith, this means he passes through the eschatological wrath of God the Father, not on the last day, but in Christ's crucifixion. Christ bears the wrath of the final judgment on behalf of those who look to him in faith. The believer is judged in Christ in the present, but that judgment is eschatological And final, it's final, it's done, it's complete, it is irreversible. As Fesco says, just as the wrath of the final judgment comes into the present in the crucifixion of Christ, so too the eschatological declaration of righteousness, the believer's justification, is a present reality. It is true for you now. Forevermore. have received Christ by faith. If you've received Him by faith. Your faith has reward that is beyond measure. And Abel keeps speaking. He says, this is the way. You have to be covered over by this blood. This is the way. We're going to close the service today singing, there is a fountain filled with blood. If someone knew nothing about Christianity and walked into this room and heard you singing that at the top of your lungs, hopefully with smiles on your face, they would probably run. Because it's crazy talk. Plunge me beneath the blood? Who asks for that? Sinners. Fountain filled with blood rejoicing? Why rejoice? Because it's a fountain for sinners. It's be covered over by the blood. Sacrifice has been made for sinners. I pray you've received it.
Father, we are thankful. Thankful that you sent your only Son into this world to live and to die for sinners. We're thankful that our salvation cannot be of our own making. That we must wholly entrust ourselves to you and the very means you have provided precious blood of your Son. I give you praise for the gift of faith. I pray that every single soul in this room would know the joy that accompanies it. In Christ's name, amen.